Well, good morning. Glad you've joined us. Uh, it's Sunday morning, and uh, Brother Gary uh, has asked me to uh, bring the sermon this morning. As most of y'all know, um, Gary and Debbie's grandson, Brady, uh, was diagnosed with leukemia this past week, and so it's been a pretty difficult week for the entire family. Uh, we're going to pause here a minute and pray for Brady and, and, and Brother Gary and Miss Debbie. Um, there's been some, some good news that's come out of the process. Uh, he was transported to St. Jude's Children's Hospital in Memphis, and they immediately began aggressive uh, chemo treatment and diagnosis on him. So some, some good reports have come, come back uh, at the, the last few days. Um, and the, apparently the leukemia is not in the spinal fluid. They did a spinal tap on him. Uh, and so they're continuing with the other uh, MRIs and those kinds of things and are awaiting uh, the results. So we're going to pause a minute the, right off the bat this morning. And we're going to pray for um, Brother Gary and Miss Debbie and, and uh, Brady and the entire family as they face this situation. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for loving us and taking care of us. And we acknowledge the seriousness of uh, diseases and the reality of diseases um, in, in this world. We, we pray for uh, Brady as he's facing uh, a diagnosis of leukemia that uh, this would be uh, healed and this would be treated uh, effectively. Uh, we pray for the doctors and all of the staff that's going to be working with him. Uh, for the family, for Brother Gary, for Ms. Debbie, for the entire family, this has been a real shock to them. And uh, we pray, Lord, that the peace that passes all understanding would guard their hearts and their minds and that they would, they would realize and rest in the fact that you're in control of this and uh, Lord, we're asking that you heal, and we're asking that you restore, uh, and we're going to trust you in all things in this situation. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin this morning, a couple of things. Uh, we want to remind you that this afternoon in the church parking lot, we're going to have our wave parade. Uh, now, uh, first time we've ever tried this, but there'll be uh, the... Uh, staff and the leader, leadership team and program leaders and Sunday school teachers uh, out on the parking lot lined up socially distanced of course and properly socially distanced and um, we're inviting the church to come by stay in their cars and drive by and wave and and laugh and and look at the posters and just just uh, as an opportunity for for us to get together and to to, to see each other and fellowship a little bit uh, but we're calling it a wave parade, and so we will we will stay in our cars uh, and and uh, and do all the things that uh, are uh, prudent in light of the the uh, orders that are the, the public health orders that are going on these days. But we invite you to come out. It will begin at four o'clock this afternoon, and it will go as long as we got people riding around in the parade. So uh, uh, come on out and, and enjoy that time of fellowship together. Um, we are. We are, uh, this week, of course, everybody is aware that the, that the governor extended the stay-at-home uh, orders and, and the, the uh, pretty strict and, and restrictive uh, social gathering um, orders that we've been under through May 15th. And so um, we are awaiting and, and hoping that we will get into phase one of the restart uh, procedures that, uh, that our governmental leaders have been putting together. 
at that point. But uh, during this time, it'll, we've been the entire month of April. Actually, it began at the, at the end of March. And so we've been uh, uh, trying to do the activities of the church with Bible studies on Wednesday nights and youth uh, group meetings uh, via uh, uh, Internet connections. And uh, our staff meetings have been going on and Internet connections. Uh, we've been doing our Wednesday night devotions and Bible studies and prayer meeting via the internet and via Facebook on the website and we've been doing our worship services on Sunday uh, and so the the um, there, there's a lot of people who have been involved in making all that possible uh, behind the scenes not very visible uh, to the the entire congregation but uh, we have a lot of folks that are continuing to work and continuing to serve the Lord and serve you so that the, uh, the ministries and the functions of our church continue. Uh, our deacons and our uh, lead team and our staff are calling uh, on a rotational basis, trying to call every one of our church members every week to check on you guys. Hopefully you've been getting those uh, phone calls. And so I want to commend our leadership in taking the, the uh, position and taking up the, the task of keeping track of everybody. Miss Pam, our church secretary, has been uh, working and coordinating a lot of those efforts and keeping our records straight and making updates and just doing all the things that keeps the keeps the ball rolling and I want to thank Miss um, Pam for that. Uh, the, um, I want to give a special thanks to uh, Jason and Cindy Glasscock. All of this uh, technology that you are seeing, all of these um, uploads and videos and those kinds of things uh, have to be produced and so we have an entire production team my grandson David is uh, is on the camera right now as we're filming and he's been he's been helping us with the the um, production of the videos for sermon for for Sunday sermons and for Wednesday nights uh, but then after all that's done and edited uh, Jason and Cindy get it and they combine it with the the work and the videos that are made of our praise team for the, for the song service and the worship service that has to be recorded. It all has to all be put together and then uploaded to the website. So there's tremendous amount of, uh, of technological and, and tasks to produce the kinds of things that you are being able to enjoy and to, and to participate in. But I want to especially thank uh, Jason and Cindy for their efforts and all of our staff, Bug and the praise team and Pam uh, and and the and the and the the lead teams and our and our deacons. Um, also, want to mention uh, uh, Jim Honey, a chairman of our deacons, who has been very very active in some of the administrative and behind the scenes uh, issues uh, for the financial stability of our church. Just a lot, a lot of people are faithful, and uh, and we want to uh, acknowledge them and thank them publicly for their efforts. Uh, I'm sure I've left out somebody. Uh, <laughs> Have not done that uh, intentionally, but we have a lot of, of people that are are um, are involved in continuing and, and uh, taking care of the the ongoing ministries of our church, and we want to to thank them. Okay, this morning we're going to uh, get into our message. We're going to be in John chapter five. Um, one of the things that have gone out during this uh, stay-at-home order and these limited activities and what have you has been our uh, Who's Your One mailing about uh, prayer guides and assistance and for, for you to 
uh, ask the Lord to give you one person that you know needs to make a decision for Christ and begin to pray for them and giving you a, a, a way of remembering an opportunity to, as the Lord provides, uh, opportunity for you to potentially give a witness. So, who's your one? Uh, should have been mailed out to the homes, uh, uh, and you should have gotten your copy. We've gotten some good feedback uh, in return, in return communication. Uh, so we're going to talk this morning about about uh, witnessing and 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 giving a gospel presentation or building an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. Now we talk about that a lot, and uh, I think today's message might be just a little bit different twist on it because. Uh, we're going to we're going to look at at, at um, the the issues that arise in people that we try to uh, relate with and want to have an opportunity to share the gospel. Uh, this is part of a, of a sermon series uh, of mine that I call "Just a Little Talk with Jesus," and uh, the the message today of this conversation that Jesus has with people throughout the New Testament. Most of the New Testament Gospels uh, record various conversations and interactions that Jesus has with uh, various people. Uh, this one happens to be with uh, a conversation and interaction with Jesus's critics. And the title of the sermon is Just a Little Talk with Jesus, and he's talking to his critics. Uh, and it's uh, entitled uh, Don't Confuse Me With Facts, My Mind Is Made Up. And it's the kind of things that that uh, we run into and we encounter when people, we have conversations with people, there are spiritual conversations, and we, got to t we begin to talk about uh, the gospel and who Jesus is and an opportunity to respond to the gospel. There are some pretty consistent ways that people respond, and these critics uh, of, of, of Jesus in this particular conversation uh, actually show and talk about and demonstrate some of the, the responses to the gospel. In this case, they're responding to Jesus uh, himself. So we're going to be in John chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be concentrating on verses 33 to 47, but to understand that particular conversation or part of the conversation, we have to understand the entire context of what's going on. At this point in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus is about halfway through his earthly ministry and um, he's beginning to uh, become popular, he's beginning to become well known, and uh, opposition is now forming, it's beginning to respond to him, and uh, it's beginning to organize and so people are following him, people are putting their faith in him, but, comp but, but, but opposition is beginning to, um, to, to form. And this particular encounter deals with one of those times where that opposition occurred. So in, in chapter 5, uh, it's the story of Jesus healing a crippled man uh, at the pool of Bethesda. And uh, the, the, there's no doubt that the man was was an invalid there's no doubt the scripture specifically says the fact that he had been crippled for 38 years and he was he was a beggar he was down at, at the pool and and he was trying to the the belief was is that if you could be at the pool of Bethesda when an angel would come down and stir the waters if you were the first to get into the water you'd be healed and so you had all these crippled people and all these sick people hanging around this water source this pool there in in Jerusalem close to the temple and Jesus was walking through there, and he sees this fella, 
and uh, he he says, "Do you want to be healed?" And he said, and the guy said, "Yes, but I, uh, when the water stirred, I can't get in there fast enough." So Jesus heals him right then and there, tells him to pick up his mat and walk, and immediately the man is healed, and he's and Jesus kind of moves on through the crowd, and he's walking through the temple, and the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the and the religious elite see him, and they say, "What are you doing? Don't you know it's a Sabbath?" Uh, you're walking around carrying your mat. It's unlawful to carry your mat on the Sabbath. What do you think you're doing? And uh, and so he replies, "Well, the man who healed me uh, told me to pick up my mat and walk, and, it's, and that's what I'm doing." And so, so they finally figured out he 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 didn't know who Jesus was, uh, but he found him and had a little conversation with Jesus there. And so the man went back and told the authorities that it was Jesus who had healed him. And so they challenged Jesus uh, and about that, about him violating the Sabbath laws and healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus is, is interacting with them about that. And uh, then he gets into the conversation with these guys about their, about their mindset. And so he, he's, um, he's talking to them about their, their, their perspective and, and he starts off um, with giving a a um, a defense of who he is, and it is actually a legal defense. Um, most of y'all know that I was in the uh, Judge Advocate General's Court at, during my time in the Army, and and I was a, a, a court martial prosecutor and and uh, and that sort of thing, and uh, prosecuted court martials. And so we had uh, we had some guides for every charge that is listed in the Uniform Code of Military Justice, there are elements of proof for every charge. In other words, if, if, if a guy's charged with stealing, then there are elements of proof. I, have to, I, I had to prove in court beyond a reasonable doubt that every element of what took place in that particular charge um, actually occurred. And if I did not present a case that, that adequately met the elements of proof, for the charge, then the the uh, the defendant had to be acquitted. Uh, the UCMJ is actually a, a more strict code of law than even some of our criminal codes or some of our civil codes. Uh, if the elements of proof were not adequately uh, presented and proven beyond a reasonable doubt, then an acquittal of the charges against him was automatic. Uh, and, and had to be taken place. The judge would, would declare him uh, uh, not guilty or, the, or the, the panel or the jury would, would have to declare him not guilty. So Jesus is making a legal argument here actually and, and in verse uh, 33 he begins by making a, a very unusual statement. So we're in John chapter 5 verse uh, 30, 31 and 32. Jesus said, If I testify about myself my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony is true. Now, I don't know if that strikes you as an odd thing to say or not, but it strikes me as a very odd thing to say. If the testimony of Jesus about himself is not valid, then whose testimony would be valid, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, after all. Um, but but he's he's making a a, a legal argument. The, the the Mosaic law very clearly said that the defendant in a crime, in a charge against him, uh, did not have to say anything in his own defense. That the, that, the, that the prosecutors had to bring at least two or three witnesses 
that could corroborate their story and uh, be able to uphold the charge against Jesus. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders had this problem in the entire time of Jesus' ministry. They never could build a case against him. Um, even, even at his trial, just before his crucifixion, they were, they were having a hard time building a case, a, a, a consistent case. Uh, there were contradictory statements, there were statements of hearsay, there were statements of just, just blather and, and, and opinion. And even the Sanhedrin that had gathered to try Jesus at his trial were getting frustrated because they knew that they were not building a case against him that, was, that met the Mosaic law. And only until Jesus was challenged by the high priest to say specifically, are you the Messiah or are you not? And the first time Jesus spoke was to convict himself when he said that, yes, I am the Messiah, I am. And the whole place fell silent. Jesus couldn't, could not have been convicted and taken to trial and taken before Pilate and, and ultimately crucified had he not implicated himself according to the Mosaic law. And so uh, that was the problem that the religious leaders had with Jesus the entire time. They never could build a successful case against him. And so he starts off in this particular conversation as saying is that I'm, I, if I testify to myself, that testimony is not valid. Uh, and, and that, and that uh, as a result, uh, I'm going to give you some other evidence. I'm going to give you some other testimony. I'm going to give you three other testimonies that, that speak to the validity of, of what I am saying about myself. So, so what are the facts that Jesus brought to the table? What, what are the particular uh, elements of proof that he was who he said he was? The next verse is in verse 30, or that, the, the, the first element of proof. It was the testimony of John, John the Baptist. And he said in verse 33, 34, and 35, you have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy that light. So Jesus' first element of proof was the testimony of John the Baptist, which was, which was legally sufficient. Uh, I'm, I'm bringing in somebody who is testifying and saying the same things about me, that I'm saying to myself. So it was, it was John the Baptist was his first element of proof. The second element of proof was the testimony of the miracles that he was actually performing. The next verse, verse 36, says, I have testimony weightier than that of John for the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. In other places, Jesus would, would uh, be challenged by the Pharisees again. And, and he, he would, get, would even get more stronger on this very point of evidence. He said, if you do not believe the scriptures and you do not believe my testimony, at least, at least believe what your eyes can see. Because you cannot deny the miracles. <clears throat> when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, a member of the Sanhedrin, he starts out the conversation saying, we know that you are a man sent from God because no one could do the things you do unless God had sent him. The miracles were undeniable. Every time Jesus got challenged by these, by these people, they weren't denying the fact that the miracle took place. In this very chapter of chapter 5, 
Nobody was denying the fact that this guy was an invalid, that he had been an invalid for 38 years, and that he had been healed. Nobody was denying that fact. What they were choking on was the fact that he was carrying his mat on the Sabbath, and that Jesus had healed him on the Sabbath, and therefore Jesus was a lawbreaker. But Jesus is appealing as evidence to his own identity as to who he is as the Son of God and the Messiah as the miracles. And then his third point of evidence was he says that the, the testimony of God himself, uh, that my, my, my third witness is God himself as revealed in the scriptures. And this is what he says. <clears throat> and the Father who sent me himself testifies concerning me. You have never heard his voice or seen his form, nor uh, does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one that he sent. So, so now he, he's throwing it back on, onto them. Uh, that, that the scriptures testify to me. So his third evidence, his third witness that he's bringing is God himself as revealed in the scriptures. Now, apparently that didn't have a whole lot of uh, impact on, on, the, on his accusers. Uh, and this is where we want to we get into the, the things that we run into when uh, we, are, we are dealing with uh, spiritual conversations with unbelievers. The, the things that we use, the, the, the evidence that we use, the basis of our testimony that we use is really the things that, uh, the, the three things that Jesus uh, used. We use the testimony, our testimony of our relationship with Christ, the testimony of other people and their relationship with Christ. We, we will use those and, 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 and refer to those things uh, as we give our testimony about my life in Christ. Uh, Jesus had the testimony of John. Uh, we will use the, the impact of being a Christian and giving our, our, our life to Jesus and, and, giving, and, and living our life and to, and to the things that uh, it, it has, Jesus has done for us and the benefits that we've, that we've experienced, purpose in life, forgiveness of sin, fulfillment, those kinds of things. That was Jesus' second point. He had the testimony of his works. And so we have, when we're giving out a testimony and having a spiritual conversation, we will oftentimes talk about the benefits and the things that we've experienced <clears throat> of, of having Jesus uh, in our life. The third thing that Jesus used was a testimony of, of God the Father, but basically as revealed in the scriptures. And we, are, we, are, we, we use the Bible. We say, look, here in the Bible it says this, and here in the Bible it says that about what it means to be saved and how a person becomes saved. We use the, the Roman road, the, the, the uh, passages in the book of Romans, uh, as, a, as a guide for folks to come to understand that they're sinners and that they need, that they, that they need to have forgiveness of sin and that you, that occurs by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. We call it the Roman road. So we use the scriptures to, to um, witness to people and to, and to show them the validity of, the, of, of our belief, of, of our faith in Jesus. We use the exact same things that Jesus used, okay? But we still run into the response of these folks, and Jesus ran into the very typical responses that we run into when we're dealing with folks uh, in a witnessing situation. It's the responses that I think are uh, teachable for us, because we, you're going to, if you haven't run into these kinds of responses already, then you certainly will. The responses that we get are really uh, reflections of the person that we're talking to, reflections of their mindset. 
And the mindsets of these Pharisees uh, and these religious leaders were pretty common. They were, they were quite sophisticated because they happened to be men, peop, uh, people of power, people of influence, people of education. And so their, their mindset was, was uh, quite sophisticated in the ways of Jewish law and scripture and Jewish tradition. But really, when we're talking to people about the gospel, we're going to run into their mindsets. And their mindsets are pretty consistent. Uh, it, but it, their mindset is going to be affected by their own context and their own, and their own uh, uh, experiences and their own background. But the, but the mindsets, I think, are important. And so the, uh, the, the first mindset that we run into is that uh, Jesus said to these, these, um, these Pharisees is that, is that you, you are confident in your own path and you're confident in your conclusions about that path. Jesus' response was, is that you refuse to accept the evidence. So he, he would challenge them, says, look, here's your mindset. You're confident in your path, and you're confident in your conclusions about that path. But my response is, is that you're not accepting the evidence. Look at, look at what he says to them in verse 39 and 40. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify of me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Okay? He said, now guys, you diligently search the scriptures. So you are, you are confident in the path that you're on to determine truth. And, and, and you are confident with your conclusions. Because you're, you conclude that by studying these scriptures and the fact that you're studying the scriptures and following the scriptures and have all these rules and regulations that are based on the scriptures, that you have eternal life as a result of it. But the truth is, is that you don't, you're not accepting the evidence that these very scriptures give. Because if you were accepting the evidence about me that the scriptures would give, you would come to me. So their, their, their mindset was getting in the way of uh, their, their, their belief in Jesus. We run into the exact same thing. People have mindsets, they have worldviews, they have preconceived ideas, they have all kinds of things that they put confidence in and they are confident in their conclusion based on those mindsets that, uh, that, that I, don't need the, I don't need Jesus or I don't believe in Jesus. I'm not sure I believe in God. Those kinds of, I'm, I'm confident of my conclusions based on my uh, mindset. But Jesus' response to them is, is that you're not, you're not uh, accepting the evidence that is presented to you. The second mindset is that because you're confident of your path and your, and your conclusions, that you're confident in your own motives that drive those conclusions. This is a very, uh, very significant mindset. You're confident of your own motives. And Jesus made a very interesting statement. I actually know what your motives are. And they're not what you're saying they are. Look at what verse 41 through 44 says. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain praise that comes from God? Pharisees were telling him, that we are confident in our own path, we're confident in our conclusions about that path, and we're confident of our motives. Our motives are pure. 
And Jesus looked him right in the eye, and he said, I know you. And here are two motives that aren't pure. You don't have the love of God in your heart. And, you're more, and, you, and you value the praise of man more than you value the praise of God. Now, we're told in Scripture that we have to be, we have to be very careful that we don't judge the motive of somebody. That only, only God can do that. Uh, in, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says specifically that we are not to judge the motives of others. We can rebuke behavior, we can rebuke non-belief, we can, we can point out the error of, of uh, somebody's thinking and those kinds of things, but we don't know a man's heart. But Jesus does know somebody's heart. And when, I can imagine the, the, the look that he had when he was speaking to these, these Pharisees and these religious leaders. Can you imagine the, the stare of Jesus in, and when he said, I know you, and you do not have the love of God and you're more interested in the praise of man. When I get to heaven, I want to go back, I'm going to ask God to, to, to replay the tape. I'm, I want to see that one in, 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 in videotape. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just curious about what that conversation went like. I know you, and I know your motives. Because Jesus also concluded by saying, and because that's your motives, he made a very he made a very interesting statement at the very end. Because you don't love God, and because you're more interested in the praise of man, how will you come to accept me? A person has to come to the place to where they realize that what they're thinking and how they think and their own motives are contrary to the truth. It takes the Spirit of God working in their life to show them and convict them that what they're thinking is not correct and that Jesus is correct. We went through a, from time to time there are debates in Christian circles about can you intellectually bring somebody into the kingdom of God? Can you argue somebody from a, from a argumentative standpoint or from a debate standpoint? Can you intellectually convince somebody uh, of the truth of the Bible, of the truth of the gospel, of the, of the truth of the identity of Jesus intellectually? And that by doing so, that they come into a, a saving faith and an understanding of the gospel. I don't think so. I think you can present the evidence. I think you can present your testimony. You can present the scriptures. Uh, you can you can you can present the your the 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 workings of God in your own life. But intellectually, and in, in a you're you're not going to win the debate with the goal of having them come to a saving faith of Christ. Your responsibility is to share your experience, share the testimonies, share the scriptures, because Jesus didn't even go beyond that and, and, and force them or try to win the argument. He, he simply asked the question, because all this is going on, how is it possible for you to come to faith? And, and, the, and the, that, that's a rhetorical question, and the, and the answer is, is that it's not. A person doesn't come to faith because as long as those things are in operation uh, in their life. And so then he goes on to make another response, not to something that they had said, but a warning really uh, about the, um, the consequence and the effect of their mindset, of the, their confidence in the path that they've taken, the confidence in their conclusions that they've drawn, 
he says, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a warning for you to consider. And he says to them one, one last thing. He says, you will be judged by the very standards that you use to judge me. Look at what verses 45 to 47 says. But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hope is set. If you believe Moses, you'd believe me. But since you did not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? As we witness to folks, as we relate with people who we're concerned about, um, we need to understand that, that there is a spiritual effect, there's a spiritual activity going on that goes beyond what we can say and do with our witnesses, with our uh, experiences, with the faith in Jesus, even with the scriptures themselves. All those things are powerful. All those things have, have, have a, a vital place in sharing the gospel. But we need to understand that ultimately it is the Spirit of God who has to draw these people. Because if they reject, if they reject those things, and your witness, if they reject the scripture, if they reject your own testimony, if they reject the testimony of others, and they have their reasons for doing so, they'll be judged according to their own standards. And judgment is real, and judgment is going to happen. And judgment, everyone, the Bible says that every person will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so the, the um, you know, judgment is going to take place. So as, as, you're, as you're working and, and, and uh, relating to, to these folks, I encourage you to use the approaches that Jesus used in witnessing and recognizing that the results must be left to God. So we're going to have a good time this afternoon. I encourage you all to be here for the, for, the, for the wave parade. I encourage you to be in prayer about, who's, about your who's your one person and to uh, engage them and pray for them and use the um, methods that Jesus used when he was dealing with a very hostile audience because the very things that he used are the same kinds of, of things that we're going to use. We're going to use the testimony of others. We're going to use our own experiences and the benefits that we've seen, uh, the things that Jesus has done in our own life. We're going to use the scriptures. We're going to use those things and submit that effort for God's blessing and pray that God's Spirit will use those things to touch the heart of, of the one that you're praying for and the one that you're trying to share Jesus with. And we'll see folks come to Christ. And we'll see folks have their lives changed through faith in Jesus. Hope you have a good afternoon. We'll look forward to seeing you this afternoon, participating in the, in the uh, wave parade. And we will talk to you later. Goodbye.